Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Troy, I am excited to bring another revived conversation. Some would say it's been too long. It's been a hot second since <laughs> we've had a revived conversation uh, uh, populate in the feed. But today, we're remedying that lack. Yeah, we, we'd like to do these revived conversations. If you're a new listener, you haven't heard one in a while. These are just a way to discuss kind of uh, situations, subjects, things that church history can apply more to our life and things that maybe, you know, for example, we did an episode on what's missing in the church today. Uh, We've done examples of like how have, you know, preaching and men of God changed or what do we do with the imperfect people of church history? But this is kind of questions that are outside the usual, uh, here's a backstory and here's a sermon. We try not to do these episodes too much necessarily because we want Revived Thoughts to be the sermons and these people, but we think sometimes it's, you know, whereas Revived Thoughts, you know, with a sermon, we're really specifically tied to one person. The goal of the revived conversation is to kind of take a step back and look at maybe a bigger subject, uh, more through the general lens of what has been happening in church history. With the very big news, and if you are not listening to this in live time, uh, if you're listening to this you know, two or three years later, then this won't necessarily, uh, but this was around the time, we're, pre- we're talking about this episode, around the time of the Supreme Court overturning uh, or undoing Roe versus Wade. And there has been all kinds of reaction to that. Obviously, there are many people who are celebrating and cheering uh, that the Supreme Court is recognizing you know, the pro-life cause and is giving the states the opportunity to change this. And I think that is wonderful and very good. There are also uh, many people who are very upset, mostly non-Christians, um, but not even that's not I, even true. I don't there know. Are, I feel like there yeah. are, I feel like there's quite a bit of, of Christians that Yeah. Are... And I will say there's a lot of non-Christians who I know who are, who I've seen who are just kind of going like, Hey, I'm a non-Christian. This isn't a religious thing. So it really is kind of going all over the place to watch. So I apologize. I shouldn't have said mostly non-Christians. There are people in the church but one of the things I thought was very interesting, and this is kind of stepping sideways to Roe vs. Wade. It, it, we're not, this mm-hmm. is not an episode, if you're thinking, oh, they're going to have an episode on Roe vs. No, I mean, we, we're super glad abortion is you know, getting minimized, and we love that the right to life is being recognized. So we're, we're, we're good with that. But this kind of brought up something I noticed, which was a lot of people were celebrating as if in some ways this was the first victory the church had ever had in a sense like wow we actually kind of won Mm -hmm. one this is so incredibly rare for us and it it kind of touched on something i have seen a lot especially as i study church history and then i look at people today and i realize people do not know the many 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 blessings that the church has brought to the entire world that has come and stemmed out of christians and christianity for the most part and and I think the best way to explain this is if 150 years ago, maybe, maybe 120 years ago, you were to go in a time machine and you were to go to, you know, the average Christian school and in some part of, you know, North America, um, and you were to go and hear about the things, people would at least accuse you and would say you you wouldn't learn the bad side of Christian history. You would you would only be hearing the good things and everything from kind of a biased perspective that everything was great and that Christians have never done anything wrong. If that's true, and I think I think that may be a little bit overblown, but if that were true, we've definitely reached the exact opposite apex now, <laughs> where, where even Christians, 
I would even say most Christians are almost completely unaware of the incredible blessings that the Lord has used his church for. They will know that the Christians obviously have saved souls, which is, you know, obviously the most important thing. And they may know a little bit about missions work, or they may know a little bit about the ways the different denominations have grown in theology fights. But when it comes to the blessings that the church has brought to our modern world, most people seem to be unbelievably unaware of those things. Mm -hmm. And again, Roe vs. Wade was just another moment where I saw people celebrating kind of without the idea that this had ever happened before, that the church had ever done anything good, you know, like this before. And I look at it and I go, that is, that is something I want to help correct. So again, this, if you're looking for an episode where we give a well-balanced opinion, this is actually not that episode. We, every episode when we go over a person, we usually tell you they're good and bad as we find it. But this episode, we're really going to be highlighting the good that the church has done for the world because I think most people are forgetting that we have done as a church, as God's people, we have blessed the world in many, many, many ways. And that, of course, is not even including the biggest blessing of all, which is we preach the good news, the gospel. We preach the Lord Jesus Christ crucified to people and bring them hope of eternal salvation. Obviously, nothing we do can ever top that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we haven't done many, many other good things. And I wanted to go over some of those in this episode, both some of the negative things we have gotten rid of and some of the positive things we have brought in. And I also feel like it's kind of... I don't know, just coming out from my... When I look around... As you mentioned, like it, it seems like the context and history of church history is lost on us. Everyone's just caught up in the current geopolitical, social attitude of what we're dealing with here in this day and age, both both Christians and secular. The secular has the exact same approach to what you just said, like the idea of Christians winning something is the most foreign concept to secular people right now, where they're losing their mind and they're... You know they can't fathom the fact that uh, Christians in like that's if you if you take just take a step back and look at the grand scheme of history, there's always been a, a, a give and take, a push and pull. Society's gone through this cycle lots and lots of times. It's not you know America's not becoming a theocracy like like a lot of people that claim it is. Uh, you know there, we're still we're still quite a ways from that, but it's just it's just interesting to see people analyzing what's going on in a bubble people go through these opinions there's changes in power changes in government changes and who's making decisions and people want different things at different points and that leans more secular and that leans more christian at different times in history yeah the the bits about we live in a theocracy is a bit funny to me as many of our listeners know i live in a uh in Indonesia, which is a Muslim country. Yeah, which is a theocracy. It is a theocracy. Um, I promise you, I've only been here a few weeks. I'm new. Uh, I've lived in Buddhist countries before this, and obviously I lived in America. Uh, I am new to an Islamic country, but it, it is um, it is very different than America. I, I assure you that it is not the same, and that the, that America is not a theocracy. And that it's funny too, because the other thing they like to talk about is a Handmaid's Tale, where these women will have to dress up in these certain things that cover themselves. And once again, I'm like, I live in a country where women are requ- where my wife has to do that when she goes out. Um, it's hot here, and she doesn't necessarily like having to wear you know, all these extra coverings. She doesn't have to, you know, cover us up nearly as much as the Muslim women do. But again, I, I we're, we're not there. We're not, we're not even close. So for people who are worried about that, we're, we're not there yet. That is not, 
Um, I don't even know that we've turned the car around and you turned in that direction yet. We may have slowed down a little bit, but we're still heading very much in the opposite direction of a theocracy, people. We have, like, I, I think of, like, Calvin and Geneva. Like, there have been, like, complete governments <laughs> yeah. and states and, and you know, city-states put together that are literally have biblical rules and like that there is no separation of a government and church like they are the same thing there there's plenty and there's and that's not the only one there's there's several instances where uh there have been strictly theocratized theocratized cities yeah again obviously we're not that right now well and jill i mean we're about to record a deep dive and we're going through the history of ethiopia i mean as soon as we finish this episode we're recording part one of this deep dive for you listeners and let me tell you that's a theocracy that is the christian (laughs) theocracy we've been we've been warned and talked about there is stuff going on there that would be very difficult so we're far away now I, let's start with Calvin and Geneva, because that might be a great place to just begin. If you re- listen to our very recent episode on John Calvin, even if you do not like Calvinism, you have been blessed by the Christian idea. This idea came from Christianity. This idea came from people studying the Bible that all humans are made in the image of God. And that means that no human is above the other humans in terms of the laws and breaking the rules. That was a foreign concept to pretty much the entire world before Christianity. And you may say, what does that mean? Or what does that matter to me? It means that a king can't go around breaking the rules and doing whatever they want. They would have to go to jail as well. The president of the United States of America cannot pull out a gun and shoot somebody. He will be you know, taken to trial for murder, and he will go to jail. He will also probably lose his position. That is a foreign concept to 90% of human history. Most of human history is the dictators or the kings or the princes or the warlords or the war chief or whoever is running the show can do whatever they want. And if you have a problem with that, you better hope you're born into the right family that can stand up to them because otherwise you're dead. You're toast. You have no say so. That idea that everyone is equal under the law and that you have certain rights come from Christianity, comes from Samuel Rutherford, comes from John Calvin, comes from these Christian thinkers who gave this to us. That's one quick blessing we can say thank you for. And those ideas, by the way, you may sit there and go, well, okay, that's kind of a theoretical, philosophical idea, but they applied it. First, they applied it to slavery, where the early people who said slavery is wrong We forget this, but were John Newton and William Wilberforce who went around and said, we have to end the slave trade. We cannot slave and trade other human beings around and own them like property. And you may say, well, wait a second, but weren't they Christian countries that did this? Not really, actually. Most of Christian medieval Europe and Christian ancient Europe didn't really do a whole lot with slavery. This was something that came around as Europe began to modernize and the Renaissance happened and they began to bring in more pagan ideas. Then they brought slavery in and then it was Christians who stepped up and said, we gotta stop the slavery, that is bad. Not only we have to stop the slave trade because it's a really disgusting practice, but then they also said we have to stop owning slaves, period. It was all the early writings, all the early abolitionists were Christians saying humans are made equal. Now, that's not to say every single person who was involved in fighting slavery was a Christian or that there were no Christians against fighting slavery. There were. And many Christians had to wrestle, and where do I fall 
on this idea of slavery. And most of us would be sad to see that some of the Christians were on the wrong side of that. But the most important thing was the early ones were all Christians. And it was only Christians who sold themselves into slavery, which there were many accounts of that happening. And then they went to slave colonies and they went into slavery places to spread the gospel. They literally gave up their souls, gave up everything they had, made themselves slaves so that they could teach others about Jesus Christ. That is truly unique to Christianity. You do not see Hindus. You do not see atheists. Uh, you do not see pagans. You do not see any other group of people in history selling themselves into slavery so that they can tell others about Jesus Christ, tell others about their faith. That just is not something you see. That is very unique. But then it didn't just apply to that either. Then after slavery ended came the idea that certain humans are more evolved than others. And all the science of the world backed that idea. Yeah, there are certain humans who are closer to the higher evolution standard, and some of them are closer to monkeys. And there was one group of people that said, hey, we are made in the image of God. Every human being is the same. That one group of people was made fun of by everybody. There are so many, I could point to you things where they make fun of Christians and say these stupid backwater Christians who don't understand how dumb they are and how much we've evolved. Oh, wait they were right, all humans are actually equal, and that there is no DNA real difference between people from Africa or people from Europe or people from America or people from Asia, etc. The Christians, the ones who had sent missionaries that entire time to these villages that no one cared about, were actually correct. They aren't closer to animals. While the secular world, while the scientific world literally took a person out of Africa and put them in a zoo in New York City and said, look at this monkey man. And then around, I think, 1919, he got released from jail, from the, sorry, jail from the zoo, which must have been very incredibly awkward to be like, hey, sorry, um, we were wrong. You're not an animal. So I have to let you out of the zoo now, right? Like, I mean, that's hard for us to even fathom. Christians were the ones who from the very beginning said, no, humans are humans. They have souls and they're made in the image of God. They're not animals. And then we take it further, it was also Christians who, in the era of the civil rights, who were very clear in saying, made in the image of God, they get to get treated all the same. And that includes women too. Christians were sometimes on the wrong side of these issues, but it's very important that we recognize that Christians were almost always the earliest proponents of all of these ideas, all stemming from that early idea that Christians were made in the image of God. And now, here in the year 2022, or whenever you're listening to us, it was Christians also who said, also made in the image of God, the fetus, the person who's not yet born, but that is still going to be a person someday, is also a life we must protect. It's a long continuum from this idea. That's just one area. I mean, we can apply this, though, to many others. In the ancient Roman Empire, gladiator games were very, very popular, and people would go and pay money to watch prisoners fight to the death, and maybe if you won, you would get to live and get to be freed eventually, right? We've, if you've heard of the movie Gladiator, this whole concept. Who ended that? The Christians, who said you cannot kill people for sport. And you can't bring them to a prison and we can't pay money and we can't gamble. And Christians were, A, one of the number one killed people in these games. I mean, they were getting martyred like crazy in those games. But also they would run out onto the field to stop the gladiator games and would give up their lives trying to get the gladiators not to kill each other. And after a few times of that happening, people just didn't really have the stomach to go to the Colosseums anymore because they were like, wow, I feel kind of gross. This person gave up his life to end this game and I'm over here gambling, hoping they kill themselves. That mm, took the fun out of the Colosseum. And that's how the Colosseums pretty much got wrapped up was the Christians saying, we can't go to those anymore. 
Christians were the ones in Africa who said you can't kill babies just because they're twins. Specifically, Mary Slessor, but others as well, who said you can't just kill them. They used to believe that if a twin was born, it was a sign they were demonic and they would leave both twins out to die. It was Christians who said, no, you cannot do that. It was Christians who went to China and said, you can't foot bind your women. One in six women, if I recall correctly, um, the statistics died from foot binding. It was such a terrible practice. And the other five and six would spend the rest of their life not able to properly walk. Sometimes they would be forever disfigured and have horrible handicaps from foot binding. And it was Christians who said, you cannot continue doing this to your women. It was Christians who told the Vikings, you can't burn your wife on an altar when you die. Like you can't have her die and go into the grave with you. We will not work with this. You have to stop doing this to your women. It was Christians who told the, the cannibals who really literally risked their life, if you listen to the story of John G. Payton over on Myers and Missionaries, who said you cannot eat people. You cannot capture them and eat them. And many of them got eaten in the process telling them, and yet today the Pacific is a far safer place and you're far less likely to be eaten by cannibals than you would have 200 years ago. Why? Because Christians went there and they said, you have to stop doing this. I mean, I, I feel like I'm making my point, but I mean, there's so many different areas where Christians have moved in and said, no, 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 you have to stop doing whatever this is. I don't care if it's a part of your culture, it's wrong and you have to change. And people sometimes don't like, well, you know, sometimes Christians went too far. Yes, sometimes they did, but we still, there are a lot of people alive today because of the work Christians did and because of the way Christians changed those cultures, even cultures that didn't officially become Christian were made better through interacting with Christians who called them to stop doing things like in China, although China is not a Christian nation today, women are better off for not having their foot binded because Christians said, you got to stop doing this. This is not how you do things. Troy, wow, that is, I that, look at that research. Look at that list of, uh, of, of information you're contributing. <laughs> I, I'm always amazed with your ability to retain and convey information on a dime. That is definitely not, definitely not one of my <laughs> talents and skills. But I'm curious, I mean, you mentioned all of these different examples throughout history, and they all seem to be examples in which the stance, the view, the agenda that, you know, your Judaic Christian subject is trying to implement here, you know, doing away with slavery, doing away with human sacrifices, doing away with foot binding, all these things. Or, or, or the gladiator, you know, battles, that, that I think is a really applicable one, because that was an example where everybody was have like all on the same page loving it like these these are the games to go to these are the things to pass the time this is what everyone is talking about i uh, can even and, see a christian you know today making the argument like look these prisoners are gonna die anyway this gives them a shot right. right like this is more merciful than just killing them and that ran for i don't know at least a couple hundred years would you say yeah it was very popular for a while and then it's it died out and we don't have that anymore. It's it's obsolete. It's done away with. No one is advocating or thinks that we should build more coliseums and have more gladiator fights and things like that. Whatever convinced society to move on from that, society moved on from that and, and it went away. What do you think is different in today's culture, today's society that, because uh, I don't, if I'm being honest with you, well, and who knows what science might unfold in the next hundred years, you know, there might be some scientific discovery that uh, adds more proof to like, hey, there actually is, you know, more life to these fetuses than than the secular community wants to give them credit mm -hmm. for. Um, so I, I, I shouldn't say with definitive, you know, definitively that there's no way that a secular community would change their mind on that. But it seems like, 
I'm just curious, like, is is there something different now that is different than these previous examples in history? I I, I think no, because if you go, I mean, for example, let's take slavery, for example, right? Like, yeah. obviously, when, re, when the Republicans uh, uh, elected their very first president, Abraham Lincoln, hit one of his big things was like, hey, we don't like slavery. We need to get the South to stop bringing slave states into the Union. And the United States reacted by a civil war. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more fierce reaction, right? And, and there are some people who are going to sit here and go like, whoa, 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 the South's going to fight for states' rights. Yeah, you know, look, I'm actually one of those rare guys who would say, you're right and you're wrong. Uh, we can look at letters. Some of the people in those letters were like, hey, I've read them where they were like, hey, I don't care about slaves. I'm like a poor farmer. I'm fighting for my children to ha live in a free country, and this is a step towards a free country ending. And then there are other people who are like, darn straight, we're keeping our slaves. We have plantations to run. There was the whole gamut of feelings on both sides, everywhere and all over the place. But the point being, there was a reaction to Abraham Lincoln being elected that caused a civil war. People heard, hey, we're going to treat the slaves as human beings and not as slaves. And there was a very fierce reaction. It did not go down easily and i think the same is happening with roe versus wade where it's just like the culture did not ex especially I, even as a christian we did not anticipate this actually ending and it, the culture is not ready to give that up i don't think the mm. culture of many of these places we talked about you know if you look at how foot binding went down it took a lot of work to get them to stop binding women's feet. It took the cannibalism a lot of work to get the key people to stop eating each other. I mean, it was not easy. And it took decades of work and just constantly hammering, you cannot do this. And it took a lot of resolve and I think courage to do it. I think we're in the early phases of that counter reaction where people are going, mm -hmm. wait a second, the Christians have put forward this new thing that we're not supposed to do. And you can still legally do it, I think in like 25 states, but you know, this new th things are changing and the counter reaction is happening. And this is the time to just hammer down and continue saying, no, but we want to treat fetuses. We're, we, these are you know, even fetuses, they're babies that have not yet been born. We're going to treat them like they're going to be human beings and not kill them in the womb. You know, if and it's not the same as miscarriage and all this. I don't even want to get into it. Everyone, if you're listening to Revive Thoughts, I mean, you kind of know where you're at on that. You you don't need me to give you the pointers against abortion or whatever. But but I would say that I think we're just living through that counter reaction. And all these other people, mm. you know, the first Christian who preached a sermon said, hey, I think gladiator games aren't great. We're killing people for sport. Everyone didn't go, oh, he's right. Let's turn it in. And, you know, they right. suddenly stopped buying tickets to the Coliseum. It was a long, slow, arduous process. And people died, you know, in those games, throwing themselves down, trying to stop them to get them to end. And eventually they ended. And now we look at the gladiator games and we're like, I can't believe people used to do that 1700 years ago. That's cr It's so foreign to us. But 1700 years ago, that was very, very common. And in the same way, you know, 100, 200, 300 years from now, if we're all still here and the Lord hasn't returned, we might, people will talk about abortion and very much well might be the same thing. And they might go, I cannot believe people used to do that. Or, or who knows, maybe it'll be one of those sins that's still with them. But the point being, we're, we're living through that kind of early stages of the counteraction, the counter-reaction, uh, much like the Abraham Lincoln being elected, where people are suddenly being told, like, no, not only do we not want you to have slaves, but we're, like, so serious about it that we actually, you know, use the government power to push this forward. All right, if I if I could get political first, which I you know I don't often do, and this is barely even political. You probably couldn't even call it political, but I do think it's really interesting that you know we I think of like the birth of America and Puritanism and everyone in Europe being like you know we don't like the way things are running. 
we're going to go to America and start our own country. It's kind of interesting. It, it almost seems like the reverse of that. You know, when you look at how people talk now, there's almost a secular puritism that's happening now where uh, the secular community is very reactive and aggressive. You know, that cancel culture to where if, if you don't align with their agenda, then they are going to try their best to publicly shut you down and i under i mean and again christians have been in that group in the past but it just seems interesting it just as a social observation to see that more uh liberal secular group uh kind of playing the role of a puritan from 500 years ago uh except in a in a different context nowadays what do you think about that I definitely agree. If you, it even kind of makes sense. I mean, just using the idea of the Puritans. Puritans founded America. Uh, Huguenots, uh, Knox, you know, the, the Scottish, all these people who came from that movement were two thirds of America when the American Revolution happened. So there's no denying that this was very, you know, much a movement of Puritans, and they came up with these ideas. And I know a lot of people are like, well, the founding fathers were deists. The final founding father's signature was a minister. And he said, as he signed it, he said, the movement that began with Knox and Calvin is being finished here with the signing of the Dec- either the Declaration of Independence or Constitution. Forgive me for getting that wrong. And I'm sure some American history scholar is about to, you know, is about to lose it. But in general, the idea here is the Puritans were so important. The Salem Witch Trials, the Great Awakening, all these things are happening. That is so embedded into America's beginning. And if you move to America, you left Europe, you said, my religion, especially those early ones, my religion, my faith in God is so important that I don't want the stain of that to ruin, you know, of Europe to ruin me or my kids. I need to go somewhere where I can be a shining light, a city on a hill, live for God, live for holiness, live for all these good things. And so our society was uniquely founded, not by people who were just hunter-gatherers who got together, but by people who came together with the express purpose of living a very different life than those around them. But as that group of people has shifted and moved away from God and has given up the church and has given up Christianity, has given up the values that they once held, they're still the same cultural people that wanted to be zealous and build something special and be morally righteous people, but they've rejected God. And so now that same zealousness that made them cross the ocean to build a new world is now making them build that same new world here. That same spirit of we're going to get rid of the witches and the same witch trials is now turning on the very problem that they think once was. And the problem in their mind that has kept many of the secularists from fully achieving their vision of this utopia is Christianity, is the very thing that caused it all. And so it's the same zealous spirit, but without God, the only thing it can turn on now is those who believe in God. Wow, that was yeah, that was really well said. Pretty much what I was thinking, except much more articulated. So I'll, I thought it was uh, what you said. It. I just you know gave it a little more beef there. No, you're good. Yeah, I, yeah. Now I wanted to add one more thing. So when I kind of went through my list of li- my list, as you put it, I put a bunch of negatives. And what I meant by negatives is like there was child sacrifice, but Christians said no. There was this and that, but Christians said no. But Christians didn't just bring negatives to the world, right? We didn't just say no, you can't have slaves, no, you can't do this. We also brought a bunch of positives to the world as well. And I wanted to emphasize those before we ended this episode too, because I think again we kind of forget what some of those positives are. Let's start with probably one of the most important ones. It is hard for us to believe today, but if you were to go back in time and drop in your time machine to 500 years ago, maybe 800 years ago, and you were to land in 90% of the world, 99% of the people around you would not know how to read. Now they know how to speak, 
but they would not know how to read. They might even know how to speak multiple languages, but they would not know how to read. And the people who could read were usually your educated upper class, if you even lived in a civilization that had people that knew how to read. And there are plenty of tribes and islands and places where reading was just not done, and their languages never got translated into paper at all or any kind of writing system. But if you landed in a civilization where people did write things down, 99% of the time, only 1% of that population, the elites, the nobles, and the educated class or the the scholar priests knew how to read and write. Who was it who changed that? Who was it who said, hey, you all need to know how to read because I need you to read this one book given to us by God? Why well, it was the Christians again. And you could say, well, not always. And Latin, you know, when the high church of the 1300s, Latin, okay, yeah, there were times when the Catholic church specifically did not want their people to read and write as much as they should have. But it was still Christians who said, you need to be able to read the Bible, so you need to know how to read and write, so let's set up schools and teach you how to read and write so that you can read the Bible, so that you can read God's word for yourself. And some people might also say, hey, the Jewish people, especially in Israel, were very literate as well. Okay, fine, but that's still, you know, that's coming from Judaism, so we're going to give them the credit of literacy. And I think is too. Some people might also say, well, there were some civilizations that did teach the average person how to read and write. Okay. But none of those civilizations went to other islands and tribes all around the world and said, hey, you don't have to learn my language. I would like to learn your language and then take my book and teach your language and put it into writing for the first time so that I could translate my favorite book, the Bible, what I think is the word of God, into your language so that you can read it for yourself right? That never happened. The Islam moves by teaching people Arabic, right? You learn Arabic or you don't learn the Quran because you're not translating that. You know, that's, we're sticking that around. You're not going to, you're not going to, we're not going to go to an island off the coast of the Pacific or off the coast of Costa Rica, you know, way out there. And we're not going to learn your language. You're going to learn ours. That's how it is. Christians were the only people who not only thought literacy was important, who not only taught everyone to read and write, but then they went to the far-flung places around the world. They didn't make them learn their language, but they learned the other person's language so that they could put that language on paper. That is so incredibly unique to Christianity. It's almost hard to fathom that we actually do that. And it's incredible because we're still doing that. How many missionaries right now are working on translating languages that have never been translated into paper and pen around the world is, is just amazing that we're still doing that. That is unique to Christianity, and it's in a unique to Christianity in a way that Shintoism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Islam, no other religion has ever tried to even come close to doing what Christians have done in that way. I remember reading actually a sermon by somebody in like the early 1800s who was like, guys, be inspired. We're doing it. We've got the, we've gotten the Bible now into like 40 or 50 languages. You know, sure, there are thousands and thousands to go, but we will certainly get it done. And you and I, Joel, are living in an era where it is very possible that in our lifetime, every single language that is still spoken on earth will have been translated and will have a Bible in it. And that is absolutely incredible. Not only that, but schools themselves spread from that idea of literacy and being able to read and write and the idea of schools. And you can say, yeah, other people had schools. They did, but not like the schools of Europe and America. Hence why even today, those are considered, you know, pretty good schools and people all over Asia and Africa and the world send their people to those schools, not because of anything other than just for the fact that those schools have this incredible reputation because almost all of them were founded way back by Christians. They're not Christian anymore. Harvard, Yale, these schools are not Christian anymore. And yet there's no denying that there are many people and even the country I currently live in uh, that people would be thrilled to send their students off to Harvard or Yale because of that reputation that the Christians built of those being very prestigious 
and wonderful institutions. Furthermore, orphanages also come from Christians. George Mueller, the father of modern orphanages, this idea that orphans aren't just future slaves or workhouse workers, but that they need to be cared for and loved came from Christians who built these homes to house them in and take care of them, not for the purpose of making them soldiers, not for the purpose of making them workers, not for the purpose of anything other than just to care for them and take good care of them. That was a relatively not, I mean, that's a newer idea in the past couple hundred years. Before that, families took care of the orphans, but as the industrial revolution took off, families would die off. There was no one there to take care of them. And the Christians stepped in with the ideas of the orphanages. Finally, the last one I mentioned to hospitals, the idea of not a village doctor or a witch doctor to go to, but the idea of bringing your sick to one location where they will take good care of them. Uh, very much a Christian inspired idea. That's not to say there were no places like them, but the idea of mass producing them and putting them all over the world so that people could get better and that they would train the best doctors and that doctors would go to hard places simply for the purpose of serving people, not to get rich. All of those medical missions that you can look into Christian ideas. They don't see, you know, you just don't see Buddhists and Hindus, even though especially Buddhists, they have this very long, you know, religion, do good works is what you're supposed to do. And yeah, I don't see many Buddhist doctors, you know, going to the heart of the Congo, you know, fixing people up. That's a very specifically Christian thing to do. And so not only did we take away those many negatives, those many things like abortion that we fought against and stood against and we as Christians have fought for, but we also brought these many, many blessings that today we take for advantage. The average, the average person doesn't even realize that so much of their life has been touched by Christians who did these mm. different things. It's, it's that selflessness, it's that, that heart of service that comes with Christianity that I don't think... I don't think you can substitute for or find a replacement for. You know, the the secular uh, approach to this would be like, well, you can do good works without Christianity. You can do good works without that that biblical model, that biblical worldview. You can all the things that you just mentioned. You can you can do without having a biblical worldview. And I would argue you can't. I don't think you can. The nature of selflessness, the nature of forgiveness, the nature of self sacrifice is not one that is innate to mankind. I don't think, and I think, I mean, that is the purpose of the word of God, right? To have a account, a, a recollection, a document that uh, tells what Christ has done to be, you know, Christ being obviously that ultimate and foremost example to show us what that looks like, because I don't think that's something that we understand. We don't understand what self-sacrificial mm -hmm. love looks like innately. We're a very fair society. Uh, you give and you get, you know, one-to-one, -one, you know, what is fair, what is fair. Uh, but an unfair society where uh, people are forgiving people in a way that is unfair, they are serving people in a way that's unfair, they don't deserve that, is something that, again, I think is a, a supernatural concept that is something that Christ wanted to make sure that we understood because that's what is uniquely Christ-like. And when you take away that example of Christ, and when you take away that biblical worldview, I think society suffers because of it. Because I, I, yeah, I, I mean, this, you kind of getting back to the roots of the just are people inherently bad or are they inherently good? <laughs> yeah. And of course, we would fall down on the side of being like people are awful, <laughs> people are selfish, they're they're mean, they they have uh, conflicting desires that cause complications. Like people are are inherently very bad at trying to figure out what we want. Yeah, and it changes, and it's in constant conflict, and it causes strife. Uh, it's it's through Christ's example that we have seen historically. You just mentioned all these things way that we're able to help contribute to society and stabilize society. 
And I know if I had an atheist across from me, he would give me a pretty good argument. He, he, he would do his best to try to convince me otherwise. But it seems pretty clear to me that it is good to have a good biblical worldview. And especially in today's society where there's, I feel like so much pressure, so mu- there's so much peer pressure. People that are on the fence about modern political agendas, I feel like just due to peer pressure, you 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 come down on the side of of a more liberal secular worldview just because sure. uh, if you if you don't know your stuff, that's what you're you're <laughs> the people are telling you to that, that that's the right thing to do, and so you'll default down on that side. I, I just if you know if there's a bit of encouragement that I would think of, it's that uh, it is good to want the place you live in to align with your worldview, your biblical worldview. I mean, for me, I'm not quite in America, so I'm a little more a little more distanced. I mean, I see removed. stuff online, but I, I, I definitely see it a little bit differently than you do. But if I can say, um, I think I say it in a way that people really can relate to with it. If I can add with you on that, uh, a couple thoughts. First is, you know, I, to the atheist, to the person sitting across the table, goes, well, there are many non-believers who do great things and many believers who do terrible things. Okay, okay, well, people who claim Christ that do terrible things, because I don't know that they all get to be counted as believers. Sure, but there's no denying that Christians have done so much good, that 90% of orphan workers and 90% of those who are educating, 90% were Christians. I mean, the, the other group, the rest of the world's religions and atheism fall on that other, you know, 8%, and they are just not accounted for, you know, compared to the Christian trailblazers who went around the world and did these things. That's just the way it is. So we have to look at it and you have to, you can be mad about it, but as the world has become less Christian, it's still the Christians who are going out and doing all these things and you Mm. just have to deal with it. And as America becomes less Christian, her crime rates are not going down. Um, Mm. So we have to deal with the fact that America is not becoming a better place. You could sit there and say, well, she's more open-minded and tolerant, but she's not as safe to walk across the street. And and you have to deal with the fact that that crime rate has gone up as she has gone less to church. Um, But to the other idea, I want to encourage people and say, if you are looking around you and saying, should I be the lone voice, even if all my friends, all my family, everyone else thinks I'm crazy, should I buck up against that peer pressure? And I would say to you, yes. And there's a biblical precedent for it in the story of Lot. Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, he stays in Sodom and Gomorrah. Even after the kings take him away and Abram saves him, he stays there. And the angels have to literally drag him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, now Lot, it says later on in the New Testament, he was saved because, you know, his, his, uh, his, his uh, conscience, his soul was tortured by the sin he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was, and you know, he brings the angels into his house. He's clearly not the same as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was more faithful than them, but he was still tortured by what he saw. His own walk with God clearly suffered because of what he saw, and his wife and his children were destroyed by what he saw. And I think the warning from the story of Lot is you can, you know, you can compromise with the world and maybe you will get out okay by the skin of your teeth, but who will follow behind? Will your family, will your children, will your wife come out with you? And I think the answer is not as much as you would think. From a lot of people I have known who have kind of chosen that compromising, I don't want to, you know, I want to take the middle road, not get to, a lot of times as their children do not end up believing in it because they looked at their mom and dad and they said, well, if you believed in it, um, you would have stood up. You didn't. And so I, I don't, you know, that, that I think that's the story of Lot and a lot you can learn from it is you might get out. You, you really might be okay, but will your family make it? 
And I think the answer is no. We can learn from church history that Christians are oftentimes standing alone, standing up to immense persecution. And obviously we have nothing on the church of, you know, Rome 298 AD, right? We don't know what that persecution level is like. And those who are living in America and Europe, not yet at least, um, we're far from that. Yet I do encourage you that it, it, you may seem alone. That is okay. It has happened before. Well, look at what's coming next. You know, as abortion, as people are taking that fight seriously, as the counter fight is happening, you can also look around you and say, what's coming next? What are the things I need to stand up to in my culture? Maybe you were slow. Maybe you didn't speak out on abortion. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you weren't somebody who people counted on. Jump in now and also jump in on the next issue. Figure out what it is the church needs to be tackling and be one of the earlier voices of that. You might not have been, you know, who knows, maybe in 1865, you'd have been kicking yourself because you didn't say enough to fight slavery. So maybe you're the guy who was going to start fighting for, um, you know, not having child workers in the mines. I mean, you can, there are many societal ills you can speak up against now. Obviously, the most important thing we as Christians do is speak the gospel. But we also need to call sin in our day sin. And if you were slow on one side, that's okay. It, you can always jump in. You know, everyone wants to be Jonathan and his armor bearer, but sometimes you're not. And that's okay. Try to do better and come the next fight. And don't, don't be afraid of what other people think when the next time comes. I, that would be my encouragement. You, you're, you haven't lost. Don't be a coward now. Just stand up and say, hey, I'm going to align myself with God on this. And, you know, come what may, I'm going to try to stand for what is right. Awesome. Well, we are uh, about out of time here, but we want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Revived Conversation. Troy, running the show on this uh, this episode, <laughs> running the narration on it, which I enjoy. I like I like it when Troy comes with a, a prepared, ready defense, uh, prepared, ready uh, lecture monologue to hear. I know it's always going to be good, and uh, today was no different. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that, Troy. Uh, feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. We are trying to get some more written reviews over there. It really helps with the show and the algorithm. Troy, do you have anything to say? I do not. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed maybe a little bit more positive episode. You know, I feel like a lot of times we're, you know, like this guy lost his arm and his whole family and then he got beaten up by tigers and now he's still, you know, crawled over to the pulpit. No, and this was a little bit more of just, hey, we really want to encourage you. It's a good day and Christians, um, you know, we, we will always have something new to fight. We're not getting rid of evil in this world, but it's, it's a good time to celebrate and it's a good time to look at the good things that the church has done for the world and remember just how much God has used his church to just raise up people and bring life to people that we would have never seen before. And that I just thank you so much for listening. And I hope you tell others about this episode too. give them that positive dose. Maybe they need to get out there and fight the next fight. Mm-hmm.